I mean, that ought to be true, and that can be the choice of your heart. Amen. That is the choice of your heart. All right. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to continue. We're still in the book of Matthew, and we're continuing our series in the book of Matthew. And, of course, now we are in kind of a mini-series in uh, the Beatitudes. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And here's our text for this morning. Help us to be open and, Lord, ready to hear what you would speak to us, Father. We'll thank you for it. And, Lord, now we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. That stupid thing worked great all during Sunday school. Come church time, now it's going to fuss at me. We'll try it, Brother Allen, but if it keeps buzzing, just switch to this here and we'll be fine. All right, remember, we're building a house, okay? We're building a house. Remember, the end of of this particular passage is an end of Matthew chapter 7, where the Lord says, whoever listens to these sayings of mine, I will unto someone who built their house upon the... Four of you knew what that was, right? So whoever, whoever listens, whoever listens and hears and does these sayings which I, which I give unto you, these sayings of mine, I liken him who built his house upon a, a rock. In other words, then the winds come, the storms come, um, and, and what happens is it withstands the storm. And if you're not going listen to these, listen to these sayings and you're not going to do any of them, then the storms are going to come and you've built your house upon the And what happens when you build your house on the sand? Yeah, you get a washout. House is a goner. No insurance going to cover that. There's a, reason, there's a reason you have to buy flood insurance if you're in a floodplain. I know that's like totally foreign to most people in Idaho. What, flood? <laughs> Not that the rain doesn't do weird things here. You think as hungry as the ground is for water, when it rains it would just go. But it doesn't. It runs down the street forever. But anyways. And so we're building a house. Remember, and we've talked about that. And we're talking here, this is the foundation. And again, we're saying that because... The way the Jews in particular, and of course this, the way Jesus used it, the way the Jews look at lists, unless they say otherwise, is it's you have to have the first thing before you can get the second thing. You don't start with number four and then hope at some point you'll get number one. You start with number one and you build up. And that's exactly how you build a house. Remember we talked about that? You, start, uh, you don't pour the foundation first with a house. You do dirt work. You have to start with dirt work. You gotta you gotta slope everything away. You gotta dig the dig the hole for the for the foundation. You have to make sure that it's at the right elevation. That you know everything's gonna be above grade or if you want some below grade, it's all gotta be just right. So dirt work first and then foundation. So here we've got this whole process that the that the Lord has started with. And of course he starts off with he's talking to the disciples. We assume salvation must be included, but of course, salvation's in the first part. If you're poor in spirit, that is humble. Humble. Someone who is humbled, and it says, it says, what does it say there? They shall inherit, or for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They're going to heaven. They're citizens of heaven. They belong in heaven. These are the, the humble. This, so, in other words, salvation is something that starts on your knees. Amen. Come on now. Don't everybody stay in here. It's something that starts, and I, when you say on your knees, I'm talking about your heart. 
humbled in, at your condition and humbled before the only one who can change that condition. Amen. Humbled before God himself. Remember, that was the foundation. The foundation to a life that is going to handle the storms of life must have salvation. Absolutely. If you're not saved, guess what? You might do okay on some stuff, but otherwise you're going to be overwhelmed by this life. It's going to tear your life apart. You might even look and feel like you're doing okay, but you know the thoughts of your heart when you go to bed at night by yourself. Amen? So we had the foundation, poor in spirit. And then remember we talked about the first floor. Talked about those two things. That's how I'm dividing it, but it's, it's fairly accessible. You can stack them all on top of each other if you want. I looked at the first floor, to, floor as, these, as a, a floor of attitude. The floor of attitude. Because he says there in verse 4, Blessed are they that mourn. <clears throat> for they shall be comforted. Remember that word comfort is really, it's the same root word as the, as the word that Jesus uses for the Holy Spirit, the comforter. And he says, for they that mourn. Mourn about what? <clears throat> why, would a person, why would a person bowing before God have reason to mourn? Why would a believer in today, today's age, have reason to mourn? Because we sin. Because we sin, we know that we cannot match up to what God wants us to be. And we, or we know that we can't even, when God says, this is what should be in your life as a Christian, we look at it and go, yes, yeah, sometimes. I wish it was a lot more. And we know and we try and we realize it can't be in my strength. It's got to be in God's strength. And then how hard it is even to, to stay in a, in a life of faith and trust God will do that through us. And we find ourselves going back to wearing ourselves out, trying to do it ourselves. No, it's a good place to be when you're bowing before God, recognizing, I can't do it, God. I can't do it. That's a great place to be, by the way. <clears throat> I can't be what I'm supposed to be. Praise the Lord. It says there, those who mourn, they shall be comforted. They, those are the people who will find someone, and that word comfort there, someone who walks alongside of me. Someone who, it's Jesus talking about those who are on their knees before a holy God in recognition that they cannot be the person that God wants them to be is the person who's going to have God right next to them saying, how about you walk with me a while? Take my yoke upon you. And learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. Boy, that's a good, 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 good place to be. God can work on the mourners. <clears throat> Amen. And then it's interesting, Matthew eleven twenty-eight, that I just quoted. Matthew eleven twenty-eight through thirty, I just quoted there. <clears throat> okay, for I am meek and lowly of heart. Look at verse five. Blessed are the meek. This is the second attitude of that first floor. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And what is meekness? It's not weakness. It's not being. Someone who always gets bowled over. It's power under control. It's take, what, what do you mean power under control? You just said, I can't do it. Yeah, we can't do it. But the problem is we still live in the flesh that thinks it can. Or at least wants to try. We still live in the flesh that rebels against everything that God wants. And that we have to learn that, you know what, if, if I'm going to become a house that can survive the storms of life and can walk along with the Lord, then, every, and then all of my strength is going to have to be placed under His control, not mine. If there is any strength left, if there's anything there that I got at all, it's going to have to be God's. I, it's, I forget the story of the, 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 the preacher who was preaching on an Indian reservation, and he was preaching on something along this line, and, the, and the, there was a Native American there who was... So, con so convicted by the Lord, and he, he threw some stuff in, you know, threw some of his, his, um, his money in, and then he threw some of his good things, and finally there was an offering plate there, and he stood in the offering plate, and he says, he says, I just give myself. That's a great place to be. That's a great place to be. In other words, all that I am, it's his to do with what he wants. That is meekness, my power under God's control, my flesh, my strength. If there's anything there, it's under his control, not my decisions, his decisions, not my choices, his choices, not my wants, his not wants, not my desires, his desires, not my dreams, his dreams. Meekness is me, me placing everything that I can and cannot do at his disposal. Amen. <clears throat> the meek. And the Bible says they shall inherit the earth. Remember, we looked at that word earth. I don't want to spend too much time here, but this is good. That word earth is not talking about the whole cosmos. Otherwise, he would have used the word world. He would have used the Greek word cosmos. He doesn't use that word. He uses the word for dirt. 
The word earth here literally is like soil, the dirt. And what he's referencing, because Matthew especially, he's referencing a Jewish audience, he's talking about their promised land. They shall inherit the dirt that was promised to them. In other words, God says, you know what? You've got blessings that are, that are specific to you. He says, and those who are meek, those who will yield themselves to God's control, you will find your promised land. Victory. I mean, this is good, good stuff. I'm just amazing how much the Lord can pack in such, such a small, just a few sentences. But then we finally get to this. So that, we got the foundation and the first floor. Now we're going to go to one that I'm going to call so the second floor that I would call actions. Actions. <clears throat> Do attitudes affect our actions? Yeah. Now there are some times when they shouldn't. <clears throat> But they still do. You know, when you're... Does anybody here have to bite your tongue? Does anybody would admit to actually having to bite your tongue? Yeah, a few people. I'll just... Like, literally. This is my thing. It's like, bite my finger or I'm going to say something real foolish. I've got a great habit. So I, I, I have a, <clears throat> one good habit with social media that I have learned, which... Being off it completely would be handy, but uh, I type something out and then I do not send it. I just kind of leave it there and walk away for a little bit. And then I walk back and I look at the conversation. These people don't know me. They don't care about them. Delete, 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 delete. <laughs> do I really want to say that? No, delete, delete, delete. You know, anyways, actions. Attitudes affect actions. <clears throat> Anybody here have a spouse? Do attitudes affect actions? Do your attitudes <laughs> affect your actions? Amen. Attitudes affect actions. So the second floor, actions. And this one, this first, this first side, remember we're kind of building it each side. So that first side is going to be this, this verse 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. That's kind of interesting because... He's talking to those who are justified. We need to understand this. He is talking to a group of people, the disciples, who are justified. In other words, before God, there's no guilt. They're not condemned. They're they're not going to go to hell for their sin. When God looks down at this group of disciples, he sees sees blood-bought, blood-covered believers. Okay, Praise the Lord. He sees those chosen before the foundation of the earth. The ones he loved, his beloved. <clears throat> but does anybody here remember reading about Peter and his attitude? Or Thomas? You know, that's who we're talking about. Or James and John? We might be justified, but there's a lot of cleaning up to do. Amen. Praise the And this hunger and thirst. Now, I'm just going to say, not unqualified, but generally speaking, in this room, generally speaking, no one in this room, generally speaking, I, so don't come up afterwards and say, well, I, okay, okay, I'm, not, I'm just saying generally speaking, most people in this room do not know the hunger and thirst that is talked about in here. <clears throat> It's not talking about grumble, grumble. Oh, I'm hungry. What's for lunch? My son and I, I don't know if it's universal to guys or to some people or what, but my son and I are known for getting up in the morning and saying, what's for breakfast? This, and what's for lunch? <laughs> hmm. And what's for supper? <laughs> We're thinking all the way down the road, man. Food's on the brain. Most of I'm not saying there might not be some people here that have not been in situations and some extremities, but these are words, this, the words hunger and thirst here are, are words that are used for extremities, extreme conditions of hunger and thirst. In other words, they're the complete, so hunger here is the opposite of rich, okay? In other words, hunger is the exact opposite of I love going to my in-laws' house. Whenever we vacation and go to my in-laws' house, because there is one whole closet stuffed 
full of food. And I mean, we're talk, I'm talking about a closet like, like this. You know, not, not just the shelves you open and there's a few shelves there. I'm talking about you can step in and there are shelves all the way around. And floor to ceiling. And if the grandkids have something that there is a favor to theirs, there's going to be about 14 of those packages of somewhere. They're never going to run out while, while the kids are there. You know what I'm saying? And they even get mine too. I mean, it's just awesome. Go in there and I'm, and some of it's not so good. I almost have to diet before and afterwards because you walk in and I like oatmeal cream pies. There'll be four boxes of oatmeal cream pies. And they're going, oh my goodness, I'm going to weigh 400 pounds when I leave this place. But it's great. She makes our favorite ham. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? It's, their house is a wealth of food. This hunger is the exact opposite. The exact opposite of that. I remember... It, I, can't even, I can't even imagine, my brain doesn't process this way, okay? But I remember my parents talking about literally having nothing in the house to eat but popcorn. And that's what they ate. Popcorn. That was like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Because, you know, we're not talking about the kind you stick in the microwave, but, you know, you buy a whole bunch of big bag of, and you actually have to do it on the stove. Some of you know that's how you used to do popcorn, Okay. There wasn't no such thing as microwaves. Anyways. My brain can't fathom that. My brain can't fathom... Some of you might remember the photographer who forever beat himself up because he took a picture of that little... the the little bitty boy, I think it was in... I want to say it was in Nigeria, or maybe Chad. might have been Chad. Where he took the picture of that little boy who was starving to death, and literally the little boy passed away. Within, within an hour of him taking the picture, and the photographer saying, I wish I never would have picked, took the picture. I wish I would have found him some food. This little boy, just skin and bones, just, I mean, just a little bitty, little bitty, three, three years old, four years old, and just skin and bones. You know what I'm talking about? That is talking about hunger. Like you need, you don't just want food. You need it. I'm hungry. While we're having this for lunch, oh, that's not hungry. <laughs> I'm hungry. Where do you want to go to eat? Well, how about we go over there? Oh, I don't like that place. No, you're not hungry. Thirsty is the same. It's the opposite of. That's interesting. Thirsty is not the opposite of having too much water. Thirsty is the opposite of the word used for drunk. Being drunk, you've, you're sloshed, <laughs> okay? You've got, a, you've got enough and way too much, and it's leaking out your pores and everywhere else. It's the opposite of that. Thirsty. You need it. You, you're, you, you understand there's a, we associate thirst with the, the, the mouth. Well, I've got a dry mouth, I'm thirsty, no, this is talking about the, the thirst where your organs are saying, hey, we need water to function. Just go, just go look up dehydration sometime and, and the levels of dehydration because it's a very small percentage of dehydration that does a massive amount of damage to your body. It's just amazing. It's, this is what it's talking about. Those, blessed are those who, listen, and what is it? They're hungering. They're really Really, they have to have it. I need it to live. If I don't have it, I'm going to die. Some of you have fasted for a lengthy period, so you know that weird... Gnawing is the word I've used to describe, but I think that's probably the best word. The gnawing that feels like something happening around your backbone and inside. The gnawing hunger. Some Some of you have been to the point where I mean, a mud, a mud puddle would be fine as long as it was wet. Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me. And eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight in fatness. You hear, you hear what he's saying? He said, here's God saying, you need to hunger for me, and if you are hungry, I'm the answer. 
And by the way, he's the only answer. Amen. Jesus says, if you're going to build your life that will, if you're going to build yourself into a life that will withstand all the storms of life, you need to be hungry, desperately hungry for righteousness. And you won't survive without it. You won't survive without longing. Well, what is righteousness? And this is, this is real simple. Again, we, we avoid this so badly. But righteousness, the word literally righteousness, is doing right. I mean, that's kind of, it's the righteousness of God. It's righteousness, the word right. It is in my life, things happening that are godly, godly actions. Now, that doesn't happen without the Holy Spirit, does it? But yeah, we found the Holy Spirit, didn't we? Where did we find the Holy Spirit? We found the Holy Spirit when we were down on our knees. When we're down on our knees, mourning and meek, the Holy Spirit comes and walks with us. Amen. The Holy Spirit within you, for those of you who are believers, is guaranteed encouraging that you do acts of righteousness. His purpose on the planet, listen, the Holy Spirit's purpose on the planet, according to Jesus, he says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove, convince the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Again, what is wrong and what is right and how to tell the difference. That's what sin, righteousness, and judgment is. Of sin because they believe not on me, the world does. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. It's easy to do right when Jesus is standing right next to you. That's the thought anyways. That's what we like to think. A judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to say, no, that's wrong. That's right. I'm not, okay, no. You know, <laughs> that's in how to tell the difference, the judgment. Okay, And maybe even, even a little bit beyond that. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to guide you into all truth. Amen? You, you catch that? Is everybody here? So you don't want to do right? Is that... Could care less whether God likes your actions or not? Is that is everybody here? Okay. So it's something every believer should want. If the Holy Spirit wants it inside of you. The Holy Spirit wants it and is encouraging it. But let me ask you, is it true of where you are? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to long for this in your heart? Do you desperately want the work of the Holy Spirit in you to guide you into proper actions because you're you're not going to be able to do righteousness on your own it's not going to happen not going to happen matter of fact you'll beat yourself you'll hate you'll hate everything to do with with religion if you just keep trying to just well i'm going to be a better person i'm going to be a better person no you're not you got to hunger and long for something that's a whole lot better than you being a better person it's god making godliness happen in you that you can't do yourself amen do you really desperately want it? Well, let's just look exactly. Want what exactly? When you have someone who sees the wretchedness of their sin and in grief over their sin bows before a crucified Christ and mourns for their condition and then realizes they themselves cannot get to where they need to be and they cannot do what they're supposed to do, they long, listen, a person who's a follower of God and a believer in Jesus Christ longs to be what they should be. The Holy Spirit is in there just crying for that and showing it. I, I want to be. They greatly desire to be free of their sinful condition. Thank the Lord. That's one of the reasons we look forward to heaven is no more fleshly sinful problems. I'll be just exactly what he wants me to be. Thank the Lord. They greatly desire to be free of their sinful condition. They long to be closer to their Christ. They long to be closer to the Christ that forgave them of the reason they, they got down on their knees to begin with. They long to, be what, they long to be what Christ that accepts them wants them to be. Amen. What person, in, what person in love doesn't want to be what their lover wants them to be? 
Have you ever heard somebody say, you know, um, I want to be the kind of father that my kids think I am? That's the, kind of, that's the kind of longing we're talking about here. Have you ever looked at your spouse and you look at them and just realize how much you love them and how much you really don't deserve them? <laughs> and then you looked at your life and you said, you know what, I'm going to stop doing this. Well, why would you stop doing that? Because she don't like it. Well, who cares what she thinks? I do. Well, you're supposed to. No. Supposed to? What, what does that got to do with anything? I'm not supposed to. She'd be the first one to tell me. Don't worry about that. Well, on most stuff. There's a reason I pick up all my dirty clothes and put them in the dirty clothes basket now. Why? I see how much she works every day. I see all the stuff she does every day. Why should she have to pick up after me too? Is everybody here? Love. Listen, love. So, okay, I got other problems. So if, if all you guys need to find out that uh, there's some other stuff I don't do, there's plenty of it. So, yes, I put the clothes away most of the time. Love creates a desire in you. And listen, the Holy Spirit is inside of you promoting that love. Forgiveness of our sin and the grace of Jesus Christ. That love is in there as a believer. It's just part of it. And love, love looks at God and knowing he doesn't, knowing that he knows we can't do it, it still wants to be. It still wants to be in action what I'm supposed to be. A hunger and a thirst for it. And what does Christ say? You hunger and thirst for this, you will be filled. What does that mean? There will be works. Your works? No. When he gets done, you'll be like, yeah, that wasn't me. <laughs> that was all God. Absolutely all God. And when it says filled, it, this is what it means, the word filled. It means filled to the full and beyond. So I'm not going to do it, but if I did, you remember we, we talked about filling up the thing? If I could just keep filling the glass, I'd just keep pouring just keep pouring, and it just overflow and overflow. So if, when you, if you long, listen, you just have to have God moving in your life to make changes and to see, to see God working in you and to see, see the fruits of the Spirit walking out of you. If, you just, if you're hungry and long for it, God says, well, you'll get that and beyond. And he's not talking about when we get to heaven. When we get to heaven, I don't think we're going to have the problem of having to put up with each other. Pretty sure God's going to change that and we'll just enjoy each other. Having to put up with each other, that is a gift of the Spirit that oftentimes, most of the time, truthfully, not just out here but in here, can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? What is it that makes a Christian not be what they know they're supposed to be. I'm not saying that you need to grow or don't need to grow. Listen, what is it? Uh, there are, there's two possible answers. I want you to think about this. John 4.14 says this, and this is, I think, Jesus talking to the woman at the well, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. If you know Christ... In other words, you know of Christ and you know of the Bible and you see those things, but you look at your life and there is no evidence whatsoever of any longing or hunger or thirst for these things. Uh, according to that, it could be that you're probably not even saved. Because that thirst is provided and filled only in Jesus Christ. Amen. In other words, listen, believer, the thirst can be satiated. That's what it says. When it says filled, you realize that you don't stay there. Hunger and thirst after righteousness, they'll be filled. And we can move on to the next part of the building. Is everybody 
following along. Does that, does, everybody, does that make sense? Okay. How about this? John six thirty five. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never thirst. Huh. Never thirst. Psalm seventeen fifteen. David put it this way. As for me, I will behold thy righteous, face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied. Listen how David put it. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Amen. Now, when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, he's talking about, he's, she's, he's talking about salvation thirst. The, the, the thirst for forgiveness. But what David's talking about is, is, a, is a sanctifying thirst. A desire to look like Christ, like what Christ says I'm supposed to. You know, it, it's amazing to me, and I, I, don't know if I, I don't know if I said that right. I feel like I haven't said this, I haven't put these verses together like I wanted to. But what is it that makes Christians not be what they're supposed to be? Because if, we, if I understand this right, if you're a believer, the promise of filling is there. It's there. But also the fact of a continuing thirst is also obvious. Well, why would you say that? Well, David talks about it. Well, that's Old Testament. Well, we're going to look a little further down the road here. We know that people, including Christians, listen, people, including Christians, run to all sorts of stuff to feed what is only a God-given desire for righteousness. Remember we talked about uh, the psychologists of the day? They, they call it a higher, a higher uh, evolutionary existence. It's their term for it. They want a higher existence, and it must come out. And for heaven's sakes, what are movies now? But you know, lots of movies about, uh, you know, well, this is the next step in human evolution and all that stuff. Why? Because humans are always wanting to be different, to be better than we are, because we recognize our human condition stinks. <laughs> we could be better, and we're not. And we know people, including, right, including Christians, who run to things and try to feed that hunger and that thirst, but they don't run to God for it. Because he's the one that provides it. Now, how does that often, and how does this often give itself? Well, humanitarian efforts. Amazing how many people you knock on their door and you ask them about their salvation, if they know they're going to heaven, and they think, they'll say things like, and a lot of people you know, don't like church. And let me tell you, there's a lot of reasons not to like church. I just, I mean, you know. Well, anyways, we'll just keep right on going. But. <clears throat> God still loved the church and still gave himself for it, so we probably ought to love what the Lord loves. But anyways, people run to things like, well, I still give money you know, to, to the poor. And we look at people who've done a lot of giving to people who are needy. Oh yeah, they're, they're more righteous. No, they're trying to satiate a need for being better than what they are by going to humanitarian things, philanthropic. Some people, including independent Baptists, that well, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be more church involved. And so they think that all church involvement and everything possible, all the time I can do, in their mind they think, that's how I'll satiate this desire. No. I'm not saying more church involvement is wrong, but if you think that you're going to satiate your desire by involving yourself more in church, you got the wrong, you're coming at it the wrong way. Religious activity is not what produces a filled up feeling. Some people seek emotional highs from music, if you're a music person. I'm a music person. Music can give you emotional high. Other people seek emotional highs through other stuff. Lots of other stuff. There's some people that long for certain holidays because that holiday encapsulates the spirit of what they think life should be. Maybe it's their birthday. Maybe it's Thanksgiving. Maybe it's Easter, maybe it's some cultural thing. Well, Christmas, can't forget Christmas, Christmas spirit, friends, like we talk about. There's some, for some people, certain holidays because of their culture, their history, that that's, you know, well, it's got to be when all the family gets back together. So and that's the height of their, they feel like that's the height of their existence. And some other, and many people, they seek other things. They'll seek a new book, you know, I'll keep elevating myself with, with, my, with my thoughts or keep elevating this. And they seek all... Some, they seek all the stuff. And you know what happens? A lot of people get tired of trying. Some people figure that out earlier than others. I'm sick of this. Nothing's happening. Some people tire of trying to end up rebelling against their own perceived feeling of needing to be righteous. 
They accuse their old church or maybe their parents or maybe their overall culture that they grew up in of forcing them to, to live a certain way and I feel guilty because of this and that so it's gotta be, that's got to be the problem. If I just didn't grow up in that culture, I'd be fine. And yet, there's still a longing inside of them to be better than they are and then they call that the problem. Well, that longing's the problem. So that was given to me by the culture. And some people do. They, they try to enforce it. Some churches, some people try to enforce. They, they develop, or religions, they develop a way of living. Some series of actions or habits or meditations or substances or whatever that gives them occasional moments of, you know, calm. And they say, this is how you get there. Here's the process by which you can get there. You need to do this, and then this step, and then this step. This is how we work. You know, this is the way to, you know, because this will give you moments of peace, moments of self-control, and then because they think it works for them occasionally, they try to force that on other people, thinking, well, they just need to know. They just don't know, and we'll just help them figure it out, you know. Once they get used to the new system, they'll be happy. Jim Jones, anybody? <laughs> But internal hungers don't go away. A hunger for, for righteousness, listen, that's not going to go away for, for believers or unbelievers unless it gets filled by one source. There's only one source. We've known this for centuries that people look for stuff. They long for stuff. Don't we? Some of you know. Okay. Humans hunger all the time. Uh, Virgil is the one, he said, um, let's see if I can even pronounce it. Quid non mortalia pectora cagus ari sacra famous. What is he saying? O cursed hunger after gold. What canst thou not influence the hearts of men to perpetrate? We've seen it, haven't we? How about this one? Another Latin thing I've got to try to pronounce. Inexplibilis, honorum, famous, citiens, virtuitous, fame, situs. The insatiable hunger after honor, a thirst for virtue, a thirst for fame, and such like. Well, if I could just get honor, I'm going to try to be a, a person that's known, I'm going to die, I want them to know that I'm a man of honor. Sounds like a really good thing, doesn't it? Come on. We know people who are like that, and we look at them and say, that's a good man, that's a man of honor. And, and we respect it. And, and virtue, people who are virtuous. Like when you look at them, you just can't think of them doing something that would be, you, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like seeing your preacher like out mowing his lawn in jeans and T-shirt for the first time, and you're like, what's up with that? It's like he lost some virtue, you know. I had a preacher friend, literally, that he would never take off his suit and tie. He mowed the lawn, he worked on his car, he did everything, suit and tie. I would not have wanted that guy's bill for clothing, I'm telling you what. But anyways, listen, don't confuse a desperate hunger for proper actions in your life as some sort of... Let me try to rethink this. The longing that you have can only be filled from one source. Whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. There's a reason Ephesians 2.10 says, and I know we don't like this, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. The Holy Spirit in believers is specifically working to produce good works, but not mine. Again, we can only be filled with one thing, and it's not my works. So let me look at Christians and say, don't confuse a desperate hunger in your, in your Christian life for proper actions as some legalistic response to God's grace. No, that's the Holy Spirit in us saying, things need to be a little better around here, and I can make it happen. It only gets filled through Christ. <clears throat> I don't like that. You're telling, me, you're telling me I need to work on my life. Yeah, I'm telling you exactly that. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you need to work on your life. 
Listen, if, if, if you're not going to get past that part of the floor, you're never going to be able to stand the storms of life. They're going to show up and you're going to be trashed. You're not going to know what to do. Okay, Philippians chapter 3. We're just about done. Philippians in chapter 3. Righteousness. You know what, you know what it means. I, I, I describe it, but you know what it means in your life, what righteousness is. Come on, you know what it means. <clears throat> your attitude when you wake up in the morning, is it a righteous thing? For most humans, well, excuse me, for half humans, half of the humans, probably not, because you're human. But it can get there. How? <laughs> not by you. That happened by God. Look, I'm sorry, I told you to turn to Philippians, and I'm still in, I'm in the book of John for some reason. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. <clears throat> Chapter 3. There's a great passage. All, all believers really ought to look at this really clear. <clears throat> Paul spends all of his time here at the first, <clears throat> uh, from verse 4 on, talking about all the things he says. I've, I'm, I'm the best of this. I'm the best of this. I'm the best of that. And it's true. He's, he's, he was literally, he reached the height of everything in his culture. And um, he was the height of it. And he gets down to verse 7. He says, but what get, things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Sounds like he's back at the meekness step, doesn't it? Verse 8. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency, what? Of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. That was that list he gave. I'm the best of the best of the best. Big whoop. That's what Paul's saying. Which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. What does that mean? He's not talking about He's talking about getting something in his possession. Resurrection of the dead. What is that? When people are resurrected from the dead, what are they? Are they sinners anymore? Uh, believers. When, when believers are resurrected from the dead, are they sinners anymore? No. They're perfect. And here's Paul saying, "That's I want to attain that. Well, how am I going to do it? Well, it starts with the knowledge of Christ. Well, if we're back there on meekness... What does meekness say? That's what Paul said. He said, I've got all this stuff in my life that's great and great and great, and I'm going to toss it all out. Why? Because there's a better power here, and I need to yield to his power. And Christ shows up and walks with him, and he says, now I want to get to know Christ. That's what Matthew chapter 11 says. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Amen? That's what he says. Walk with me. Learn of me. And we're going to get a job done. He get, talks about having a yoke. Yoke is not done for couch sitting. You don't put a yoke on to go watch... TV. You put a yoke on to go work in the field. We're going to go get work done. How are we going to do it? You're going to get to know me, and we're going to get work done. And look, look what Paul continues to say. If by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained. I don't have it. I'm not there. Either we're already perfect. I'm not perfect, Paul says. Now notice that. Paul, like the greatest Christian probably who ever lived, said, well, I ain't perfect. Well, yeah, we all aren't perfect. No, he's talking about his actions. I'm not perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend, that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What is he saying? He says, the Lord says I'm perfect. The Lord says I'm, I'm, I'm wonderful and complete. Well, I guess we'll do it this way. Completely healed. I got the house over there. I don't want to work on the house. So. I'm, I'm completely perfect and I'm, I'm completely saved. And I've, I mean, I've got all grace. And I, I'm, he doesn't see me as any trouble at all. But I look at myself and say, man, alive, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. He said, so what am I going to do? He says, well, by getting to know Christ, I'm going to get in the yoke with Christ. And we're going to start trying to become what God says I am. 
That sounds to me like Paul knew a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. I've I gotta spend time with the Lord. I've gotta spend time with the Lord. You hear that? Oh, I read my Bible. Some people read their Bible like they read the dictionary. If you're reading your Bible, you probably should be reading a dictionary. I don't know what that means. Go find out. Do you want to know? This is the craziest thing in the world. Do you know what one of the, the most... Just sit with me. Lunch is fine. Lunch, lunch will take care of itself. Because none of us in here are going to go hungry. Um, <clears throat> one of the greatest, most controversial subjects in our realm, and has been for a couple hundred years, is this thing called Calvinism. You all know it. I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not touching it. I'm walking away from it. It's, the, it's, it's nowhere near... Well, I shouldn't say that. There are people who are Calvinists who are believers. But listen, do you know why Calvinism is all messed up? Because of failing to use a dictionary on literally one word. Well, no, Calvin wrote big, ginormous books. Yeah, and it's all based on um, um, not using a dictionary for one word. It's called foreknowledge. You read Calvin and go, go read all of his works. And you know what? We walk with the Lord, walk with the Lord, walk with the Lord. I'm, and, you know, how do we know what the Lord means? Well, sometimes we have to ask. You get out a dictionary, a definition. I wonder what God meant by that. Well, there's the word. I wonder if God knew what it meant when he said it. I think he did. You know, it's funny. I read Calvin and I walk through verses that use the word foreknowledge and predestination and the same thing. And I read, read predestination and I agree with Calvin. Yep, I agree with his definition that he's using on predestination because that is accurate. And when we get to foreknowledge, like, what? Did he even read? Did he use a dictionary? Listen, and all of Calvinism is based on, listen, all of Calvinism is based on a messed up, construed, mangled version of what foreknowledge means. It's not out of the dictionary, and it's not out of the Greek dictionary, and it's not out of the English dictionary. It's out of Calvin's mind. It's not from any dictionary. Well, what are, you, what are you saying? You know what? Calvin Calvin at that point was not interested in what God said. He had an idea on himself of what he thought should be. Hear what I'm saying? And what he put forth was a hopeless situation for a whole bunch of people. You, you know what Paul said? I don't want to know what I know. I want to know what God knows. The problem, the, what I know is the problem. I want to know what God knows. Paul knew what thirst was. He wanted, listen, Paul wanted to be what God wanted him to be. That's why he says, I want to take possession of what God says I have possession of. That's called hunger. I want that working in me. I want to attempt great things for God. Amen. Not in his own strength, he's quite clear about that, but trusting God for the strength he needed. And that's exactly how we're going to build our house. How in the world am I going to withstand? How in the world are you going to even build the second floor without having strength enough to support it? The first floor has to be solid. <coughs> I just want to ask you a few questions, Christians, because this is to Christians. Do you find yourself irritated with your actions without end? The same actions all the time? you're not past first floor because you can't build the second floor without a first floor. Are you hearing me? You are, listen, you can grow as a believer into a point where you see the Holy Spirit working in you to do spiritual actions and righteous actions and good works that are not your own. But you don't start with that as a first floor. You start with meekness and mourning. It's an arrogance to expect God to work through us without us first bowing before him and admitting who we are. Oh God, just take what you got here. I mean, hey, come on. <laughs> no, mourning and, mourning and meekness. Amen. Are you hungry? 
You're not hungry? And let's just just clear. Let's just be clear. Let's just ask yourself a question. Are you sick and tired of who you are and you want to be what God wants you to be? If you're not, then we've got a problem back here with mourning or meekness. If you're a believer, you call yourself a believer in Jesus Christ and there is no hunger to, move, to be better or has never been, I'm just telling you, you got a problem. You can, you can try to ignore all you want. you got a problem with mourning or meekness. You have not been on your knees before God acknowledging that I am not worthy. Which might be, it could be, all the way back to salvation problem. Because you can't get saved without bound before Christ and saying, I'm not worthy. And even after salvation, you see the perfection of Christ and the great love of Christ and the wonderful things that he is. And hearing him say, I have accepted you. I I have loved you. I have made you perfect. And I have made you worthy. You belong in my heaven. And then you look at your life and go, wow, I don't deserve this love. And you don't spend your life and I don't deserve this love. You get down on your knees before God and say, God, whatever it was I was, I don't want anything to do with it. God, what do you want from me? And then God shows up alongside. And Jesus says it quite clearly. (laughs) Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest unto your souls. Isn't that the kind of the end of the building process we're talking about here? Withstanding the storms of life? Amen. Rest unto your souls, realizing that, listen, when I get in the yoke with Jesus and I spend my time, I spend my days, and I I search the Scripture for God. I search the Scripture for Christ, and I long for Christ in me, and I long for Christ to work in me, and I, I find myself going, I don't know how to fix this in my life. God does. I got a problem in my life. I'm sick of this in my life. Oh, search the Scriptures for them. You think you have eternal life. And there was... Take my yoke upon you. What was his yoke? He did what the master wanted. He says, I don't do anything without the Father giving it to me to do. Why don't you get in my yoke? What a great thing. Listen, listen. you want to you build a life that will withstand the storms of life. You know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to stop telling God what you want him to do in your life. Stop putting expectations upon God saying, well, God, if you don't do this, then you must not be this. Well, God, how come you're not doing this? Well, it's not fair that, you know what you're telling? You, you, you just left mourning and meekness and you stood up and just destroyed the first floor. Mourning and meekness recognizes my own fleshly rebellion against any rulership but God's and forces myself to bow before God and say, God, forgive me my rebellion again. Amen. Maybe the reason you're no longer hungry is because you've, you've stopped mourning over your sin. Well, at the end of the day, I just ask God to forgive all my sins. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. Well, Lord, forgive me if I've done anything wrong today like you don't know. You're a liar. You're a liar. You know exactly what you did wrong. Well, how would I know that? Well, see, what did Jesus say the Holy Spirit came to the earth to do? To reprove men of sin and righteousness and judgment. We need to get down on our knees before God and say, God, I did this wrong in my life today. I should not have done this. God, I rebelled against you today. You're walking with God now. You're mourning over sin now. You're, you're placing your meekness under his control now. Amen. I shouldn't have done that. You know what that also makes you do? It's kind of funny. It makes you do stuff you don't want to do. That God wants you to do. What is that? Love your brother and get right with your brother. Shouldn't have said what I said. My wife and I have a thing we've done. It's been a wonderful thing we've finally done, learned how to do. <clears throat> have, have a fuss, and, you know, we're human, so you stay stuff you're not supposed to. Walk back. I remember several times walking back to Dana going, well, I'm, I don't, I'm still kind of angry, and I don't really feel sorry yet, but I shouldn't have said that. Because you don't have to be sorry to recognize, you don't have to feel sorry to recognize that was stupid. 
I'm not really feeling sorry, but I, I should not have said that. That was wrong. That's, that's true repentance, not based on emotion. It's funny how the emotion tends to follow that afterwards. Why? A hunger and a longing for righteousness, God's righteousness working out in me. A hunger. I need God to work in and through me. God, please, how come he's not? Well, maybe we better go back a floor and make sure mourning and meekness are taken care of. Because God is the only one who can build any of these floors, but you've got to submit to him. And the second floor of God's righteousness, God's righteousness being fulfilled in and through me, the fruit of the Spirit working through me, has to be something I long for. Because the Holy Spirit's in there working it. If you're not longing for it, go back to the first floor, start working. But let me tell you, if you're longing for it, if you need it, God, what, is, what, is, what does it say there? I'm out of my passage again. Back over in Philippians. Listen, what does it say? Man, God, I've, I've got to be better. What does it say? Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. You're going to walk out of a situation and go, I handled that right. Wow! Then you don't go, I must be becoming a pretty good Christian. No, you go, well, that could only have been because of God. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave you with this. We'll be done. I know I've been a little longer than normal. Uh, my daughter had her wedding just recently. And... Uh, <clears throat> You know, she worked three jobs because I told her, I'm taking care of the photographer. Don't worry about the photographer. I'm, but, Dad, you can't afford it. That's my business. That's none of your business. I'm taking care of the photographer. Which, if you've been to a wedding, you know that a good photographer ain't cheap. But, so what she wanted, she wanted a video. So she wanted to hire a videographer. So she worked. She picked up another job. She was working three jobs so she could be able to afford having a videographer at a wedding. Guy was amazing. We found a guy. He did a great job. Man, just everything he did. Luke, you worked, interact him, just professional. Everything he did. And then he disappeared off the face of the map. And Autumn was, I don't know what to do. Had a contract. But you know how good the kind of contracts like that are. They're about worthless. And we prayed about it. I mean, we, we did. We were praying about it because I know I'm sitting there going, man, she worked three jobs for that. You know, and I understand, you know, people are people and sometimes stuff just bad just happens and they walk away from it and sometimes just get ripped off because people are just rip-offs. But he didn't seem like that kind of guy. And I remember, man, I wanted to pick up my phone. I, I'm telling you, I, he, he wasn't too far away. I actually wanted to drive. So I but it, it was her wedding. She paid for it, not me. I kept my mouth shut by watching her. And she would say, I really want to do this right. You hear that? Hunger and thirst. I, I, don't, I want to do this right. And so she would say, this is what I'm thinking about saying. Does that sound okay? And, we're, and I'm over here going, well, we should be a lot sharper than that. But yeah, that's probably the right thing to say. You know. And so for a few months, she just kept constant contact, just patient, Praying for you, and we did. We be, we began to pray f- for him as well. I actually started hunting the news because I thought the guy died. I, seriously, and uh, she just kept patience, kept her patience. And about a week ago, she was expecting it almost two months ago. About a week ago, got a contact back from the guy saying, "I am so sorry, but my wife and I were in a horrible accident, and destroyed my hand, and I had to have my hand rebuilt." And I'm sorry I didn't contact you. I should have contacted you. And he said, I so appreciate the way you dealt with this. And you're the first project. If I understood it right, you're the first project I'm going to be working on because I appreciate your spirit. And this guy is a lost guy. And here I am looking at it. I wanted to step in. This is dad, you know. And I'm trying to say, Lord, you're going to have to help me handle this, right? Because I'm, 
Dad's getting defensive and he ain't that far away and I want to go give him a piece of my mind. Mom was about with me too. I think she'd have drove if I... And here's, here's, here's my daughter saying, I, I just want to do things right. And now looking back, you know what she can look back and say? Wow, that wasn't, some of you here know Autumn. That wasn't Autumn. That had to be God. Why? Because she hungered and thirsted after, in that situation. What's, what is God's righteousness in this thing? And you know what? She's filled and beyond. I've seen the video, I'm telling you. It's amazing. Filled and beyond. What situation? You, you might be looking at this as a generality, but this is, try thinking about this as specific. What situation right now do you desperately need God's righteousness and not your own? Ask God for it, because here he says, you shall be filled. You will be filled. Will be. Promise of God. You want to build a house that can withstand the troubles of life? Second floor, actions. God, I need you here more than I need me. What is it? What is it? Where in your life does that need to be right now? Because you can be, God's promised it, you will be filled with his movement and not your own. Father,